Hi everyone and welcome to Heart to Heart. This is a vodcast series. Yes, there's a new word. You've heard of podcasts. This is a, a video podcast effectively. So a vodcast series brought to you from your local charity, Northern Ireland Chest, Heart and Stroke. My name is Sarah Travers. I'm thrilled to have been asked to host this series of vodcasts um, where we're going to be speaking to survivors, to supporters, to friends of Northern Ireland Chest, Heart and Stroke. And we'll be finding out and hearing about real experiences. Um, we've got great guests lined up throughout the series. They've all been living with either a chest, heart or stroke condition. And we'll be hearing about the work of Northern Ireland uh, Chest, Heart and Stroke and finding out about the work that they're doing to lead the fight against these diseases. Now, I've got two great guests with me right now. Today's episode is all about life after stroke and my guests today are Alison McElveen and Derek McConnell, both of whom survived strokes in their 50s. And we'll be chatting about how they've managed to cope with life after their stroke and how they've also found support and friendship at their local stroke support group. So, Alison, I'll, I'll start with you first of all. Thanks very much for agreeing, I suppose, to tell your story, but um, your stroke happened when you were very young. What age were you? Oh, well, I wasn't that young, I was 55. That's very young. <laughs> but I told all the kids in school I was only about 40, so <laughs> and I had to get a reality check, but um, no, I was 55. So you're a teacher? I was a teacher, yes. Okay. I, I had been teaching for 33 years. And this came completely out of the blue. Just tell us a little bit about what happened. Well, it was a totally random thing because on the, the Monday evening before it happened, um, I took a wee dizzy spell and I took another one on the Tuesday and I thought I had um, a relapse or a vertigo condition that I'd had before. And so whenever I rang the doctor, um, I requested that they give me more vertigo tablets and I took them. And then three days later, I just couldn't get up out of bed at all. And um, I had to be carried to the bathroom. Um, I couldn't eat, which is very unlike me. And then um, the doctor was wrong and he said, I don't know really what's wrong with her because I wasn't exhibiting all this, any of the symptoms of a stroke. And then he sent for an ambulance, which arrived a few hours later. And I went to the A&E and about five o'clock the next day, they said, yes, you've definitely had a stroke, but that was after several CT scans. Now we've all seen the ads on the TV, the fast ad, um, but you had none of those symptoms. No, I mean, I, I remember that I was lying in the bed and I said, no, you're not having a stroke because you can touch your nose and you, you can push your, your finger out, and you can lift your hand up and your speech isn't slurred. So it's definitely not a stroke. So I was in this sense of uh, complacency. No, no, you've just got vertical. And you also, you were saying, you, you led a very healthy life. You know, you didn't drink, you didn't smoke. Um, such a massive shock. Oh, it was, totally. I mean, I, and, and that's what I was so resentful of. Why is this happening to me? Because I have done everything that's, well, apart from eating rather a lot, because I really was quite overweight, but I, I think maybe that was the, the stage in my life that I was at as well, because um, I just had put on a lot of weight in the 50s, and things were quite bad, although my blood pressure was concerning for a while, and that was probably the stress of my job. So whenever you had that confirmation that, yeah, it, it was a stroke, can you remember what that was like? 
Well, I didn't really take it in because I remember saying to my family the next day, what was it the doctor said was wrong with me? Did they say I had a stroke? And my daughter said, Mum, can you not remember? I said, no, I do remember that, but I don't feel as if I've had a stroke. I just can't move. My right side of my body by that stage was totally um, paralysed and uh, I felt dizzy and I couldn't. I just couldn't sit up in the bed at all, but although that subsided and I felt like I was in a tunnel um, where noises were happening in my head and um, I couldn't see properly, but that, that submerged after a couple of days because um, I asked could I have a TV on to watch the football because and they said, really? And I said, yeah, because I want to see how my team are doing. Your team, do you want to give them a plug? I, well, I really don't need to because I'm wearing my red trousers because I support Liverpool. <laughs> So again, at that stage, probably it hadn't sunk in. No, and certainly nothing when they told me, you know, it'd be very difficult for you to walk again. And I thought, no, why are they telling me this? I'm going to do that. But every morning, the occupational therapist came around in the hospital and tried to get me to walk. And after about a fortnight, I just, I had to go home because I couldn't stand anymore because there was nothing else wrong with me. It just, I couldn't, couldn't walk. Um, and I did feel a wee bit dizzy and I couldn't look up because um, I felt, oh, things are going around a bit. And uh, being in the car going home, I remember that um, going round the roundabouts, going into Wards Newton Hours, I thought I was going to be sick um, and it made me panic. So I had to sit with my hand up and the, and the strap in the car all the time. But all of that, fortunately, subsided, although it did take a long, long time. And they said that you know, be six months before you, you feel that you're really getting better. And yes, I would agree with that. After about six months, I was able to do a lot of things that I couldn't do at first, but there are a lot of things that I'll never ever be able to do again. And that, I'll come back to that in a minute, um, because yes, the shock of it, then you're coming home and you're learning to live in an altered world. You're not the same person perhaps that you were before. That's right, and it's being dependent on people. You don't want to be a burden. Yeah. And having to ask them to take you to the bathroom and to take, to give your, cut up your meals and the food, it's really very humiliating. And then you try to do things yourself and then you realise whenever you're sitting in the bathroom and you can't get out. And my husband had gone one stage to get a prescription for me and I'm sitting in the bathroom crying because I couldn't get out. And I thought, wise up, you're 55 get yourself together and so I crawled into the, the living room. I mean it is, it's, it's harrowing and it's, it's shocking and I suppose there must have been times when you think why did this happen to me? All the time. Um, it was one of the things I was most resentful of. Very difficult too for your family because suddenly you know mum's come home or your wife's come home and she needs cared for. How difficult was it? Uh, awful. <laughs> Must have been really terrible, uh, especially because I'm not the most easy person <laughs> because I'd be terribly independent. So it was very hard for me. And I, I, I remember I kept, I couldn't express my frustration. And I used to flap my, no, don't do that, don't do that. And they'd say, I'm only trying to help you. And I would say, well, I need to do this myself. And so I kind of taught myself to do small things around the house. And that's just the way that um, you get on. Um, and my husband bought me a robot vacuum cleaner because that would help me clean the house. <laughs> He's very considerate. <laughs> there you go. Why didn't he get it years ago? Um, 
you were told that you, you would never walk again. I saw you walk in here. You, know, you won't be held back. You've, you've fought every step of the way as well. Well, the consultant in the hospital said it was because I'm very feisty and that would have stood by me. And I think he's probably right. Um, although having said that, I, there are other things that I find more difficult. Um, I'm very emotional. I cry at adverts on the TV and I'm not depressed. I mean, I remember my daughter came into the room and she said, why are you crying, mother? I said, because the advert for the Lion King was on and Mufasa dies and she said, but it's only an advert and you've seen it about 20 times. I mean, I know, but he's a wee lad, his daddy dies. No. And would you have been like that before? No. no. <laughs> no. Um, Derek, you're sitting listening to all of this. Now you two wouldn't have known each other 10 years ago, but you know each other very well now. You had a stroke, a, it turns out a couple of weeks, was it after, after Alison? Tell me your story. What age were uh, you and what happened? I was 54 and ironically I was watching the uh, National Health Awards on television and had dozed off. And just before that I'd taken uh, <clears throat> a sandwich and, and taken some insulin because I'm diabetic. Uh, to that effect then I'd, I'd, I'd dozed off and I woke up after about half an hour and couldn't see. I went to stand up and there was no legs there. They just went, I went straight across my living room and hit the radiator. My son was uh, upstairs and I tried to bang on the, on the wall to, to get him to come down. And when he did come down, as I said, he uh, tried to get me up and I, I went straight across the other side of the room and hit the settee. So, and uh, something wasn't really right here at all. And uh, I started being violently sick and uh, I was lying on the, on the floor and called for an ambulance. It, the ambulance didn't come for three hours, which was, was a bit of a, a thing. And uh, <clears throat> when I got to the hospital, they uh, thought maybe I'd overdosed on insulin. Because of your diabetes? Because of diabetes and they put me to the diabetic ward in Dundonald Hospital. Uh, and uh, because they couldn't see, uh, I was double vision, I had two, two of everything. And uh, they uh, then decided to go and do a CT scan, at which case the doctor come, comes around the next morning and says, uh, Mr. Paul, how can you take news? And I says, go for it. And he says, uh, well, your CT scan has shown that you've had a stroke and we're going to be transferring you to the stroke unit yeah. in, New, in the Ulster, in the new part of the building. So that uh, was a bit of a shock at the time. Did it but, surreal? Uh, it didn't, it was surreal. It didn't, uh, didn't sink in right away. And I text um, a partner and just said, like, I'm for a stroke. She didn't understand it. She thought I'd, I'd, been, I'd, I'd done a typo on, on, on the text message. And uh, <clears throat> the thing was, it was before the doctor had come around, the nurse had given me, uh, I was giving me aspirin. And I asked her, it's not my medication. I don't get aspirin. She says, it's down here for you to take. 
So I knew something wasn't right. That was the first indicator. Right. But the uh, consultant then uh, in the stroke unit then confirmed everything and uh, yeah. How, how long was it? Um, because I know you went on to have another stroke. How much time between? Uh, first stroke was in May 2018, and the second stroke was in December 2019. So it was a year and a bit. And what happened the second time? Second time, again, fell asleep and uh, woke up and couldn't move my whole arm or leg. But I, I just sat there and I, I, well, I'll be honest, I cried. And I just you knew. I knew, and I just, I didn't want to say, because it was so close to Christmas too, you know, it was the 20th of December, and it was, uh, after about an hour, I started getting a, a bit of feeling back on my leg and my arm, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't say, I, I rang the doctor's in, and I got an appointment for when. So you didn't so, ring, you didn't contact anybody for an no, hour? No, I, I, I was, didn't want to believe, didn't, 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 uh, so not again, you know, I think it's, it's that, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it was that frame of mind. I didn't want to. I don't want this to be happening. This is not happening. Not happening. And uh, I didn't want to end it in hospital for Christmas again. So I just didn't want to be, you know, and, and that so happened. I then contacted the doctors and, that, and then the, when I went up, he'd done all the tests and said it was, uh, yeah, I had another stroke. The two uh, veins in the, in the neck were, were, were blocking uh, 75% and 65% or something it was. And I've got sleep apnea, which uh, also can cause a stroke as well. So you can go to sleep and not wake up, believe it or not. But uh, it, all these things I've had to deal with. Yeah. And uh, to be honest with you, it's... Uh, yeah, it's been life-changing and it has been uh, a bit of a challenge, uphill climb, and uh, I think it's... Yeah, and for those people, you know, watching this, maybe there's someone who's just experienced something similar, has had a stroke. Um, you're both here today. Um, life does go on. It just goes on very yeah. differently. What sort yeah. of person were you before, before I stroke? A, I was a very outgoing person. I've always been a bit of a... A uh, bit of a wind-up merchant, bit of a <laughs> bit of a joker, and things. And uh, I would play golf three times a week. Uh, that that doesn't happen. Uh, it's been a complete social. I don't interact. Don't go out. Obviously, COVID hasn't helped, but I just withdrew in. And uh, what's been the hardest thing, Derek? Depending on other people. I think that is the most frustrating and uh, it makes you aware of what you maybe took for granted before. And there's people, uh, uh, people don't realize that it's uh, some things that you can't do now and how frustrating it can be that can get your emotions completely messed up. And uh, y y y it's frustrating. And, 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 I'll, and I'll say it as I before, sometimes you get to a stage where you just say, don't want to do this anymore. Can you relate to that, Alison? Yes, um, certainly I hate being a burden to people. Um, and the loss of independence is absolutely terrible. Um, I, I went to the, got to the stage where I find it very difficult to go out. I'd lost my confidence, which 
it's very strange because I was always very confident. But, uh, and then you just have to work and plough your way through it. And three years later, I can hardly believe that I've progressed. What do you think's been the biggest source of support for you? What has helped you the most? Well, apart from the family, <laughs> chest, heart and stroke, because this is for chest, heart and stroke, and they paid me well to say that. No, I don't mean that at all. I had no idea what to expect. All these people kept appearing at my house and I didn't know who they were or what they were. I just, oh, you're here to take blood or you're here to do this. And then chest, heart and stroke um, introduced me to their prep classes. Well, uh, it was a, initially it was a two months, well, it was, sorry, it was eight weeks, I think. And then we were allowed to extend that and we learned to do exercise. You had an hour of socialising, which is really good because you got meeting people who had similar conditions as yourself. Or had, progressed or had just experienced it. So we're, we're all swapping our stories and things that we did to make life easier. And then we did the exercise um, session where you had to stand up and sit down using a chair and you had to try and walk across the room. And after so many weeks, um, they checked back and said, look, you've done this so much quicker than they did it before, or you've done so many more exercises, push-ups on the wall. That sounds as if we're really, really physical, but it was just, doing that because um, all those things were very very difficult at first and it was just the camaraderie and just giving you the courage to go out because I remember the first time that I went I sat in the car for ages I can't go in here everybody's going to look at me but everybody was the same we're all looking at each other going why are we here was that the hardest thing because yes. I can't imagine what that must be like because it's Nothing. nearly also it's the acceptance that I'm now going yes. I've had a stroke and I'm now going to meet other people who've had a stroke and I don't want this yes that's right and then but then there was such camaraderie in the group and then we moved on to the the ticking control sessions where we learned um to um just take control of our lives by uh, breathing exercises or learning to eat properly um, and generally again sharing experiences um, and being more confident and that that basically was where I suffered the most my confidence. So Derek um, you had to do the same thing you, you you know that Derek you were talking about pre-stroke came back a little then uh, when yeah, you met everybody I, else, you seem to be a bit of a linchpin in, in the support I, group. I think, I think what it is, is uh, the people in the group understood firsthand what you're going through. And they were talking about things that was, uh, you thought was maybe strange to you or just unique to you, but it wasn't. Everybody was experiencing fatigue and a lot of other things. Now, I also, I also, bad anxiety and I was a very, I'm a very outgoing person but I find myself I couldn't and still probably don't as much because COVID kicked in and, and made it a wee bit more difficult but uh, definitely there's there's uh, things that, that people don't mention that you, you do suffer from anxiety, frustration, uh, even depression and things like that. It's uh, but the group, we talk about it openly, and that is something that uh, we know we all support each other in. 
So that, I think that's, that's, that's a big bonus, you know. You touched on COVID and, you know, that must have been awful when suddenly here was something that was helping and the camaraderie and, dare I say it, fun and joy was coming back in, being able to experience things with others who knew what it was like. And then that was all taken away from you. How did you cope? Well, I, when, when, when COVID uh, actually kicked in, I contacted Dawn from Chest, Heart and Stroke and asked her would it, would it be okay for me to get the telephone numbers of people and set up a WhatsApp group and we called it the Crazy Crew. Uh, and it's basically, it's for want of a better word, it's like the Waltons. Everybody says morning, good night and they share a joke, uh, a menu, a, a bit of banter and just basically, because not, not everybody has someone there, there's people live alone. So it's it's a support for them as well. So I'm sure it was invaluable for people. Well, I only set it up because I thought it would be a good idea to keep everybody in contact. But it's turned out that it's been uh, it's been it's been more. Everybody's uh, we actually done a play uh, through chest, heart, and stroke, and and, and uh, one of the arts people called Stephen Beggs, and uh, it's uh, we done it through Zoom. When COVID kicked in, mm, everybody's and, been on Zoom, and it's uh, ten minutes, and it's called Different Strokes. And the message we were trying to get across was that there, that COVID was a bit of an insight into what it's like to have a stroke, because you're restricted. Uh, you can't go where you would like to go. You can't do things you'd like to do. Uh, so it was just sort of like. Uh, basically walking in our shoes. So, so it, it sort of was uh, trying to get the message across that there's different things within a stroke. So there's more to what the ad gives fast. Is there's, there's a lot more to it and there's a lot more to live with. And that's what we're trying to get across. That's amazing actually. And it's made me think differently because yeah, for the first time, the wider society knew what it was like to be restricted and not in control or be able to have that freedom. And Alison, you obviously took part in the WhatsApp group. Has it, has it been good for you and indeed the play? It's been absolutely amazing. And without the support of my friends in the group, I don't think I would have coped uh, because I like to think I'm very independent, but everybody needs somebody, even if it's only for a laugh. And I know we were having a chat earlier and, you know, the WhatsApp group too, the fact that you all checked in on each other every day and morning at night, you could tell, you know, if you didn't hear from somebody. That's right. I remember right back, there was one day that I was feeling particularly fatigued and really, really bad. And I had another phone call and it was Derek. I didn't think everything was quite all right. Don't worry, everything will be all right. And we had a wee chat and the next day I was grand. But those are the days and that happens now and again, where you just feel that your body can't cope with anything and that you can sleep really for Ireland. It's really very, very strange. Um, even trying to walk about is more difficult and trying to keep focused and you just need to rest. Your body just tells you, that's it, I'm going to have a rest. And does that happen, you say it's just, it's not all the time, but... Certainly with me, it just happened at, at first all the time. Um, when I got out of hospital, I would have had a, a wee nap during the day and I would have maybe dozed off in the middle of a, a film. Maybe that's my age, I don't know. But um, 
certainly and much, much better now, but occasionally we'll just get a day when everything's very, very difficult. And you just have to say, this is just the way it is and tomorrow will be fine. Yeah. And I think what's lovely is you, you said there to have these friends. So all of the people that have gone to the support group have become really good friends. Absolutely. Um, we're now taking part in um, a pilot scheme um, run by um, Performance Breakthrough um, to improve the neuroplasticity in our brains and to help bypass the connections that are all mixed up due to stroke. And because we have different problems, we all do different exercises better than others. Um, we'll stand on a, a balance board and we'll play swing ball with it. And we have a, my favorite exercise is um, firing the super ball onto a numbered board and then trying to catch it. And I have what I called my bad hand, but I'm not allowed to call it that. I have to say it's my getting better hand um, and my left hand, which is really, really alien to me because I'm a totally right-sided person, but I have to do everything with my left hand, but I can now catch better with my getting better hand now. Oh, so things are, are, are moving forward. And what's so interesting, I mean, that's actually a research project for Ulster University and yeah, it's quite intense. Dr. Neith Kennedy is... Uh, is behind that as well. So that's a, what, how long is that going to go on <clears throat> for then? Say, said six months. Uh, we've been doing it and... Uh, it's quite intense, twice a week or something? Well, twice a week and, and, and as I said, one of, one of the girls in the group uh, uh, had been able to play her violin, which she hadn't been able to do for seven years. Because wow. uh, her, her right hand, I think it's right hand, she's on his right hand, is Shalakam, which she'd done it and videoed it and it was like, inspirational f for everybody else. You is know. this pioneering? Are they trying to but find something? This is something a pilot, yes. Yeah, she's just trying, trying to get the, uh, the connections in the brain to rewire or circumvent to, uh, uh, to, to help with the problems that you have been left with. So this study then, the, the, those findings will be published and released? And, and well, that's, 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 what, uh, the, that's what they're doing. That's what the, the fastest would we do this and we happily said yes because anything that that, that highlights and, and helps is positive. That's brilliant. Well, congratulations. What's so good about it is that um, Susan Steele, who takes it, ha has us all worked out from the, the word go. She was able to say to me, um, you used to like sport an awful lot. I said, yes. And she said, because instead of waiting for um, the swing ball, you're trying to anticipate the ball coming to you and you get very, very frustrated. And she was able to say, your right side is particularly, was particularly bad and your perceptual awareness was totally nil, but it's coming back. And I can actually feel that when I've done something properly, yes, that's really good. And she says, you're also too hard on yourself. So do you think a lot of it is the mental challenge? Yes, because you're standing on a balance board for all of this um, and, and you're doing all these exercises, but you, you should be going that. But you actually forget that you're on it after so many weeks. But the first time that we did it, I thought, we'll never do this. <laughs> There's no way I can Even balance. having to be confidence to yes. do it. And now I, she has me at standing at um, a very acute angle and, and there are no books balancing the board at all. And I'm throwing balls and catching a beanbag as well as us. And do you see improvements? Uh, only because I had just gone in Jackson's on my right knee, which is my stronger side at the moment. It's, it's a wee bit up and down. But 
in between my first and my second stroke, I was going down to the swimming pool and, and trying to walk up the swimming pool, you know, in the, the small pool. Uh, because if I lost my balance, then I'd just, just fall into water. So I was doing that and then COVID kicked in and that was this woman pool thing out. So in a way this has been this has been good because this has taken that place. Well it's wonderful that you are you know contributing to something that hopefully will make a difference. Again, if there's anybody watching this today and maybe how they've recently had a stroke, you'll know the depths of despair that you can feel at this time. What would you say to them, Alison? Things will get better. It will be a very lengthy process and it's actually, mine is still ongoing. Uh, when they told me that I wouldn't be able to walk at all very well, I decided, no, you're not telling me that. Um, and I'm going to cry. Um, okay. And I did. I might cry too. That's <laughs> part of my stroke condition that I cry very easily. But, um, you just, you just have to, everybody has different challenges. I mean, my speech wasn't affected. And it's because of that, um, when people saw me sitting in a chair in the house, and especially when I'd just come home from holidays, they would say, oh, you look fine, you, you must be great. And then they would say, can you get up? And I said, uh, no, no, it's all, I can't do that. And I can't do simple things. My handwriting was dreadful and it has really, really improved. Uh, not so much that I could teach handwriting again, but um, I certainly am I'm as good as any 12-year-old that ever I taught. Oh, that's wonderful. And what about, what would you say, Derek? Uh, I would say laughter is a big, uh, and I know there's good days and there's, there's bad days, but uh, I, I've always been a jokey person and I think laughter sort of helps. Uh, but there is sometimes when you just, you know, you feel so low. But I think that's what the group does. They keep everybody on a, on a high and try not to go low uh, because, you know, there is, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. uh, How's life for you now then? Uh, it has good days, has its bad days. And as I said, uh, just with a lot of other medical conditions, the stroke just, just uh, made things difficult. Not working anymore, it was a, it was a big thing. I was on, on trying to get back to work and then I had the second stroke, which obviously put homage to that. Uh, but uh, I think it's, it's, it's learning to adapt to what you can do, yeah. Uh, obviously I would have played golf three times a week. That's gone, uh, but I still, I still get contact with my friends and uh, I'm in a great circle of family and friends. Is, is always very positive because they they do help you through times when you you well feel low you know so uh, but definitely uh, uh, I think the group has has been eye opening in respect of they, they've all different outcomes of their strokes and they uh, support each other as well. So I think that's 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 a, a very positive from chest, heart, and stroke. Who's 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 definitely shown us, uh, you know, uh, that that a group forum forum is 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 beneficial to anybody that's had a stroke. And life has to go on, and life it has, has to, to continue. I would have been lost without chest, heart, and stroke, and I'm not just saying that. Um, 
they gave me something to look forward to because all the activities um, that, that they provided um, in the, the Young Stroke Group um, gave me, so I'm going to be able to roll that ball straight. And, and it was never patronising. And as Derek says, it's the, the humour and the camaraderie of the friends that I've made. Yeah. And then you're helping others as well. So, yeah. you know, thank you on behalf of them for all that you do to keep everybody connected as well. And I can't wait to hear the results of, of the study as well. It will be really interesting to see. Well, yeah. one of these days I've told my daughter, I maybe get on to the badminton court and be able to play again. And she said, well, I wouldn't worry about running around too much because you didn't do that in your latter years because she's very <laughs> cheeky. <laughs> she is a bit cheeky. So that's your goal get back on the badminton court in some way, shape or Even form. if I just have to stand there and look pretty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you have a goal, Derek? My goal was getting back to work yes, and uh, sort of, and trying to get to golf again. No, it's not, but that's not going to happen. But what I did was, <laughs> I uh, said I always liked fishing. And uh, last year I actually bought a fishing license and stuff, but I never went fishing. And that was me saying, if you want to, you can, but I never ever couldn't take myself out. And I've done the same this year and still haven't been fishing. So it's building the confidence needed. It's, it's definitely. It's the anxiety it's, is the biggest issue yeah, for you. But definitely it's uh, trying to replace uh, maybe something you did before with something that you can achieve, that you can do. That's realistic. I, it's realistic. Adapting to what you want to do, you know, and. Uh, which is not easy and people don't like change and, you know, you could see how you you want to be what you were before, but I suppose mm. adapting and accepting and still having goals, but trying something new. Yes, and I don't want people looking at me and saying, oh, there's that woman and she used to be so active and, and now look at her. So um, I'm now, look at that crazy woman that walks up and down the street practicing her walking and, and trying to get fit and definitely, and. I've never felt so healthy um, because I'm eating my, my five a day and um, I'm trying not to eat uh, chocolate or fried foods. And um, I do try to get out walking with my husband and the dog. Mm -hmm. I believe the dog is, both of you have dogs oh, and you love your dogs. Buster is my best mate in a sense. And, yes. uh, a word that you just used there was acceptance and, and acceptance is one of the hardest hurdles to overcome. Because yeah. when, when you've, when you can get past that hurdle and accept that there is certain things you can do and there's certain things that you can't do, it uh, it's it's definitely the first hurdle to, 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 to cross. Yeah, sometimes just in your own head and that mindset is so important. Um, I think you're both incredible. Um, there's a lot of time that people frustrate you because they maybe say the wrong things or they ask silly questions. What bit of advice would you give to the public or those who are working with people with stroke? What, what don't you do and what should you do? Well, I remember a, a lady uh, in Newtonards when I was out for a walk and I was trying to be independent and my husband was about 100 metres behind me and she said, oh dear, I think you need my stick more than I do. And I looked at her and instead of losing my temper, which would be very like me. I turned around and smiled sweetly at her and said, oh, did you have um, a debilitating stroke too? And um, is that why you used a stroke? Because they told me that I wouldn't walk very well, but I think I'm doing rightly. And at least she had the good grace to apologize. She said, I'm so sorry. I said, it's all right. Mm -hmm. 
I you can understand. never judge. Yes. You never know. I do walk a bit like a zombie, but do you know what? It's far better than being stuck in a wheelchair all the time. Absolutely. And Derek? I think you've got I think what you've done is you're trying to make people aware that there's more to the arm, the mouth and the leg for it as in stroke. And that uh, as the ad as one of the imagine say, all disabilities aren't noticeable or are different. And the stroke one is a wee bit more than just the ad. So much more. Thank you both for sharing your stories and, you know, very different experiences. But this support group and the camaraderie, it's, it's really lovely to see. And, you know, thanks again to Chest, Heart and Stroke for facilitating that. Um, I hope you have enjoyed listening to this podcast. We're going to be back with many more uh, great guests like Alison and Derek but looking at all different kinds of issues. So next up, we're going to be talking all about women and heart disease. So that's the next episode. Thank you so much to Alison and to Derek. Um, you can also follow Chest Heart and Stroke on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram or Twitter, and they'll keep you up to date on when we're going to have further episodes. We'll see you next time.